Greetings and welcome to the latest episode of Si Yo Fuera Una Canción, If I Were a Song. We are a community-based podcast and radio show in which people of Santa Ana, California, tell us in their own words about the music that means the most to them. I'm Elizabeth Le Guin, your program host and director of this project. The project is based on my conviction that we people in the modern urban world need to learn to listen to one another, and that music and all it brings us is the perfect place to begin. My name is David Castaneda, music researcher here for the Si Yo Fuera Una Canción podcast. I'm so happy to be a part of this project, using my scholarly training and my performance experience to bring you the stories, music, and lived experiences of those living right here in Santa Ana. Carmelo Cantoran knocks on the door of my house almost every Sunday afternoon. He brings bags of snack food for sale, and in the hot months he also has a cooler full of paletas, fruit popsicles. He always arrives immaculately dressed, and during the pandemic he has always worn a face mask. He has a friendly and dignified professional manner, and as I point out in the interview, his products are of the highest quality. The relationship of professional salesperson and regular client has been one of the pillars of society in villages and small communities for centuries. But urban life imposes another model on us, in which the sale of goods is often reduced to a hurried transaction between strangers, and where salespeople typically draw minimal salaries and minimal respect. Carmelo's arrival on my doorstep every Sunday permits me to imagine a more connected, more integrated, more human urban life in which the movement of goods brings not only human respect, but the possibility of friendship. This reenactment in English of the original Spanish interview was recorded with the voice actor Wesley McClintock. All right. Welcome, Carmelo. For me, this interview is very special. It's, it's the first one we've done in person since the start of this whole project. All the others have been conducted remotely, and that's an artifact of the pandemic we've been living through. So, to start, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Of course. My name is Carmelo Cantoran. I'm from Mexico, originally from the state of Puebla, near Mexico City. It borders Puebla, where I'm from. But I'm not from the city of Puebla. I'm from the countryside, very, very far away from the city itself. And how long have you been here in the Santa Ana area? I've been in the Santa Ana area for around 20 years. 20 years. <laughs> so, from around the time of the millennium, why Santa Ana? In Santa Ana, I feel as if I'm in my own country. The majority here in Santa Ana is Hispanic, and we speak mostly in our language. Well, in my case, I pretty much only speak Spanish. I understand a little English, but I haven't spoken it much. I feel like we're in Mexico because life in Santa Ana is very similar to life in Mexico. Hmm, yeah, yeah. And of course, it's interesting because this land actually was Mexico at one time. That's correct. Southern California was, in fact, a Mexican territory up until very recently, historically speaking. Of course, of course. So, what do you do for work here in Santana? Will you please tell us a bit about it? I currently, as you know, I'm a vendor. I sell paletas, popsicles. I sell snacks, peanuts, chickpeas, fava beans, pistachios almonds. Apart from that, I'm doing some other investments. I go around selling from my car. I, I already have my clientele here in Santa Ana, and I can get around quickly in my car. Yeah. Uh, because Santa Ana is quite large. Here, what we've got more than enough of is people. 
Yes, certainly enough. <laughs> enough to... Uh... <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and well, I, I have to let listeners know that the quality of Carmelo's products is very, very high. For example, I, I've noticed that the peanuts, which for me are like the ultimate experience of the treats that you sell, they arrive at my door while they're still a little bit warm and they're very, very fresh. <laughs> yes, that's right. Because I bring them directly from the supplier. All the products are recently prepared, so I deliver them while they're fresh. Yeah, yeah, it definitely shows. So how did you get into this line of work? Uh, I got into this line of work because I used to work at a restaurant over at Laguna Beach. Uh, there was very little work, very little to do. I worked there for three, four hours tops. The, the pay was very low, very low pay. And at that time, I knew someone. I had a friend for a little while who lived over in Baldwin Park. He was already doing this, doing what I do. He was selling paletas. And he sold all kinds of nuts, all kinds of snacks. He got me in touch with the place where he bought his paletas first. And that's how I got started. I started selling paletas and I started to build my clientele. And little by little, I started to get getting to know the people here in Santa Ana and my clients, gaining more clients all the time. And that's how I started. So then came the moment where I told my boss there at the restaurant that I was going to stop working there. And uh, from then on, I focused on my own work, on my own terms. And then little by little, I started adding more product. You could say adding the peanuts, the mangoes, the pistachios, all the dried grains and beans I sell now, along with the paletas. I really admire the personal initiative that I think is required to develop and then maintain a business like this. You have a lot of clients. You have to travel to each one and keep in mind, Maybe maybe you do it in a notebook. I don't know. <laughs> you, you have to maintain like a list of who they are and the things. For example, when you come to my house, you already know that we buy certain things and not others. Correct. Exactly. That's a lot of details, right? And it's quite a complex job. But it's clear you do it very well and with a lot of, hmm, how would I put it, with a lot of personality. And that's why, after a while, I got the idea to invite you on the show and interview you. Going back a bit, you asked me a question before about how I started. Yeah, yeah. Or how I got the motivation to do what I do, to go knocking on doors. Basically, when you're in need and you want to do something, the amount of people isn't going to stop you. For example, all of these houses, I've knocked on every door in this whole neighborhood <laughs> so, so here I am, a, a person from a rancho where there are only nine houses, where you grow up with the shyness since you're not used to being around a lot of people. Of course, yeah. And, and well, that was the main challenge. That was, the, that was tough in the beginning. I had to read a lot of books. Um, I read a lot of books to get the courage to come, to knock on doors. Anytime I see a book tossed to the side, I say to myself, no, I've got to grab that book because books are... They hold great wisdom and give us courage in our hearts. It makes me so happy. So happy to hear you say that. I'm a book person, and I completely agree with you. Books hold culture. They hold wisdom. Somewhere out there, there's a book that holds everything you need. That's what I believe. Exactly. Like in the beginning, I read a book called The Magic of Thinking Big. I don't know if you've read it or, or heard of it, but... Uh, it rings a bell, but no. Well, that book is the one that basically gave me the courage, made me believe in myself and raised my self-esteem a little bit, be- because at that time, it was practically on the floor. 
It was so low. I, I couldn't look people in the eye, but that book lifted me up. It, it helped me. How interesting. But yeah, it's really admirable because it's one thing to read a book and absorb the advice it offers, but it, it's another thing to turn that advice into action. Oh, of course. Action out in the world, right? That requires, I don't know, a very strong impulse from within, I think. You arrive at my door with confidence, but not arrogance, not invasiveness, nothing like that. The way you do it is perfect. And that's an art, right? You have to work at that kind of presence. Oh, of course. One has to develop this, it's a persona, right? Almost like a mask. I, I imagine that, yeah, that, that would be a big challenge. Yeah, yeah. It, it's pretty much like you say. I don't know which book it is that says, but beyond fear lies success. So the more you do what you're afraid of, eventually you conquer that fear. And well, it's true from what I've read, what I've lived, what I've seen, what I've done, yeah, the more I do what I fear, little by little, the fear fades away. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. The Magic of Thinking Big by David Schwartz was published in 1959. According to the publisher's website, the book presents a carefully designed program for getting the most out of your job, your marriage and family life, and your community. Almost six million copies had been sold by 2015. There have been various Spanish translations, thanks to which I imagine that this already impressive sales figure has grown somewhat more. The literature of positive thinking, as well as the works of motivational speakers like Alex Day, whose phrase, Detrás del miedo está el dinero, which we have translated as, Beyond fear lies success, is quoted by Carmelo. This literature has a fairly long history here in the United States, stretching back a century and more. The concept seems to have penetrated with a particular force into the consciousness of many immigrants. In effect, your destiny depends on you and you control it. Such a doctrine can produce inspiring life stories of the rags-to-riches variety, and it's clear that it is the moral spinal column of many honorable people, like today's interviewee. But in terms of the body politic, Surely, interdependence is as important as self-reliance, and the two must braid together in some way, the greatest success being the success of all of us together. I remember that when I started out the first few times. Well, I knocked on every door in the neighborhood, every single one. <laughs> and at first, you know, I get it. The people don't know you. They look at you suspiciously. And well, you could say that out of the 20 doors you knock on, maybe only at two or three of them will someone buy something and start getting to know you. And well, that's part of sales. Not everyone. Not everyone is going to say yes. Only a certain number are going to say yes. Yeah, of course. And and the others, well, you've got to leave them alone. It's not very helpful to worry a lot over lost sales and things like that, right? You, you always have to be like, onward. <laughs> onward. The sun rises for all of us, but we don't all have the same day. Because imagine if the people who go out to sell something, if everyone they tried to sell bought something, well, it wouldn't be much of a challenge, right? You'd, you'd have to. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> the work wouldn't be as meaningful. And, and something occurs to me. This work of going from door to door, making these connections with clients, it's its a form of community work. Because 
Okay, there's fear on both sides, right? The, the thing is, many people feel afraid when they open their doors about what could be on the other side out there. And seeing a familiar face, someone you have a relationship with, that helps to foster a little more trust in the community. With all the, with all the pressure we're under in this country to separate from each other. I mean, yeah, yeah, independence is valuable, but I believe community is even more fundamental. And with this work that you do, it's like you're weaving a communal cloth from door to door. Oh, exactly. Of course. And I admire that a lot. I really admire that. There's a bit of separation between families because, as you know, there are a lot of bills to pay here. Rent, bills, the car. It's a lot. A lot of expenses. That means that most of the time people are out there, out of their homes working. Uh, sometimes they work two jobs. I've, se I've seen parents who leave early before the sun rises while their kids are still sleeping. Uh, they work two jobs. They go from one job to the other, and by the time they get home, it's nighttime. Their children are asleep again, so they barely see them. Yeah. And, and that makes for some separation within the family. And sometimes, you know, the children don't get to grow up with that bond with their mother or father. If we don't focus 100% on our children while they're small, it will be more difficult when they're grown because at that point, they have their own obligations. They're more independent. And I think building those ties between parents and children from an early age is the most valuable thing. Because you know that if you build up your children from the time they're little with principles, values, and humility, when they grow up, they will value that. And they'll be people who do good for their country. Mm, it's fundamental. It's fundamental. Yeah. And you have children, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. How many? Five. Five. <laughs> and what are their ages? The oldest is 12. His name is Carlos Jose. And after him is a girl, Brisa Yanet, who is 10 now. Then we have an eight-year-old girl, Yuvia Setlale. Yuvia? Like rain? Mm-hmm. Yuvia Sitlale. Wow, what a lovely name. And then there are the last two boys. The five-year-old, who's almost six, is named Isai Carmelo, Jr. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we have our three-year-old, who's turning four in January. His name is Yael Ivan. But I always change the order. I call him Ivan Yael. And yeah, <laughs> growing up with a family like this, with children like this, it, well, it's wonderful. Of course. And, and they all teach each other, right? I mean, the role of the parents is one thing. And as you say, it's fundamental. But then with, I mean, it's like you have a small village under one roof. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they relate to each other. They teach each other. They raise each other. <laughs> uh, school also provides a very good education. But, but I think that the main education is the one you get at home. When those values are instilled in the children from a young age. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. It's it's like the trunk of a tree. The walls that hold up a building. <laughs> yes. With a solid foundation to withstand any storm headed their way in the future. Yeah. Well, we've we've lived through various storms in this past year and a half of the pandemic, I think. And Okay, speaking of foundations, with your permission, let's move on now to the song, the first song. The first one you chose is Mexico Lindo y Querido. And that is Beautiful Beloved Mexico. It's a classic. And being a classic, there are a ton of different versions. Personally, the Javier Solis version is the one that most moves my heart. 
So is it all right if we start with that one? Of course, of course. It's a timeless classic. Brings back memories. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that version, among the many that exist, is a classic too, right? What a voice that Javier Solis had. He, he died quite young, right? Yeah, yes, he was very young. What a loss for everyone. Javier Solis is perhaps one of Mexico's best-known entertainers. More than just a musician, Solis became an icon of Mexican heritage and culture over the course of his career as a singer and actor. He was born in Mexico City in 1931 and was left to be raised by his aunt and uncle. After the death of his aunt, he was forced to work to support his family. He only had completed the fifth grade by that time. He began singing in voice competitions, but soon was barred from participating due to his domination of the contest. Working as a butcher, he would sing as he worked and impressed his boss, David Lara Rios, who sponsored his first singing lessons. After moving to Puebla, Solis would be discovered by none other than Alfredo Gil of Trio Los Panchos, who took him to audition for CBS. In 1950, Solis recorded Llorarás, which would be the beginning of his commercial and international success. By 1959, Solis was starring in films, very much like his contemporaries Pedro Infante and Jorge Negrete. Solis became most famous for singing bolero rancheras, which were bolero songs but played with a mariachi accompaniment. One of Solis's hits was Mexico Lindo y Querido. This song was originally written by Jesús Monge Ramírez, otherwise known as Chucho Monge, in 1964. The song was first made famous by Jorge Negrete, but quickly became a standard in the repertoire. This composition has become so famous mainly due to its exaltation and pride for Mexican patriotism and reverence for the land. So, something about this song that stands out to me in the lyrics is the part that talks about, if I die far from Mexico, bring me back again to my native land to bury me. That That's not the exact line, but that's the, the, the feeling of it, right? So, in this song, there's this sense of being far away. Mm-hmm. That's right. And of wanting or hoping to return to Mexico lindo e querido, beautiful, beloved Mexico. And I imagine that's why it has turned into a sort of anthem for migrants, right? For for that feeling that it has. And all right, at, at what point in your life did you come across this song? How did it come into your life? Well, since I was little, I remember my father when the few times he was there because he was there in the States a lot of the time, he would play it. Uh, since I was little, I've listened to it, and I know that maybe it stayed in my mind. And well, when we talked about looking for, choosing two songs, this song came to mind and I said to myself, this is the appropriate song. Now that I'm here, I'm not in the place where I was born. Well, I think this is the appropriate choice and for the song's message. Yes, yes. It's interesting that for Mexicans in Mexico, like your father many years ago, 
they also listen to and appreciate this song that talks about being far away from a beloved place. So you you feel nostalgic even in Mexico itself, right? That's right. It's true. Yes, it's it's a song that really goes straight to your heart because of its message. If when you're there, you were far from your family. Mm-hmm, of course. I mean, it occurs to me that there's also been a bunch of internal migration in Mexico. So for many families, even without crossing the border, there's this separation be- because of the economy, the search for work, all those things. Nah, that's correct. It's affected a lot of people. Unfortunately, it's happened to a lot of Mexicans, pretty much like the song says, Sadly, many have passed away in this country and are brought back to their land over there in Mexico. And well, I think that the majority of us, we immigrants who've come from other countries, well, we've, it's not an acquaintance or family member or a friend. Well, most of us have seen something like that happen, unfortunately. Unexpected things, like the song says. Mm. It's a feeling not only of other Mexicans, but of the majority of those who came from other countries that this song reaches us with. Yeah, exactly. There are a lot of people who are now very far away from their birthplaces. That's right. So there's this constant yearning. Even with a full, happy life here, there's that cord. It's like an umbilical cord that connects you to your place of birth. This is something you can see a lot here in Santa Ana. Oh, of course, of course. All right. Well, this would be an interesting moment to shift to the second song, which is of another nature with a very different affect. So can you tell us a bit about how you found it? Uh, I, I'd heard it someplace. I don't know where. I'm not sure if one of my kids played it or if I heard it somewhere else. It's in English. I thought it was really nice. I, I didn't understand it 100%. So <laughs> <laughs> I was looking for the second song and thinking about like, you told me songs that inspire me for the future, what I want to achieve or where I want to go. So I started looking and I found this and wow, I thought the message was really great because it motivates you. It inspires you to be better, to do what you want, of what you have in your mind and your heart. If you put in the work, the dedication, the persistence, you can do it because our brains are like magnets. You attract <laughs> everything you think about. And the results depend on your actions. Because practically everyone who came here from another country came here to improve, to have a better life. And this country offers us that, offers us many opportunities that our own countries don't offer. And we have to be thankful for what we have and where we are, for this marvelous land, because it opens doors for us. The doors here will open for anybody searching for opportunities. Your status doesn't matter. Or if you do or don't speak English, As long as the person is searching, there will be opportunities. Yes, yes. Although I will say there are some very particular challenges, right? Oh, yes, of course. Because, yes, the land of opportunity, that's the classic phrase that's applied to the United States. And in many ways, yes, it's true. But contempt towards immigrants is also very real. That it is. I mean... I'm not an immigrant, so it isn't my place to really speak to these things, but many of my friends are, and the path is different in every case, but there's got to be a way to overcome or defeat the hatred and contempt that also exists out there. And I think a song like this second choice of yours is ideal to inspire that feeling of confidence. So, all right, let's listen to it. Yeah, you could be the greatest 
can be the best. You can be the King Kong banging on your chest. You can beat the world. You can beat the war. You can talk to God, go banging on his door. You can throw your hands up. You can beat the clock. You can move a mountain. You can break rocks. You can be a master. Don't wait for luck. Dedicate yourself and you go find yourself. An inspirational song that... Yeah, it's a really inspiring song. It's an excellent song. And, well, dreams. What are, if you don't mind my asking, what are some unrealized dreams of yours that this song inspires you to reach for? Well, there are many, a lot of them. Uh, But family comes first, leaving a legacy, a memory, to be remembered by your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, Not only that they're like, he was alive and then he died and didn't leave anything behind. Not a single memory, a single, single, a single, how do you say it? Mm, Testament or? Testament, a legacy, a legacy, a legacy that you did something for humanity. You did something that they'll always remember you for. Yeah. So what would it be? Do, Do you? Well, Doing something extraordinary, like... Like like the song says. <laughs> <laughs> like the song says. It's like, so your kids can have a better future, that you can offer them something better that you didn't have in your own childhood. A house of their own paid off. <laughs> That's a big dream because the banks are the true owners of almost all the houses. But, well, what I mean is the legacy of simply giving a better life to your children, that's an enormous legacy because the amount of work and thought and care and passion that goes into building that future is very great. And it's very noble work. The song also talks about being a preacher and a teacher and a leader. And I don't know what else, like it's like a list of social leadership roles, right? But not only leaders are heroes. No, no, of course. Heroism Heroism in family life is very personal. It's, it's in those daily interactions, right, between parent and child. Yes. Practically everything begins in the family. That's right. Uh, it's the first thing. If we want to be leaders outside, first we have to be leaders with those inside, with our families. Mm, yeah. Work on ourselves. Work on yourself first. Be all right inside. And then you can work with your family. Because when we're all right... We transmit all that. We can better transmit the message and our wisdom. So we dump a lot of not very realistic expectations onto today's youth, I think, without offering the support they will need as well. I I see this repeatedly in my work, and it gives me a lot of anxiety because we're teaching young people that they have to work very, very, very hard all the time without any rest, simply to be enough in the world. Right. And I I think instead, the message should be, you already are enough. What can you contribute as you already are? But no, it's all on this scaled system of, okay, I'm talking too much. But it's just that your oldest child, he's, he's 12? 12. So he's about to enter adolescence, and that's a formidable stage. Of course. It's important to be prepared for what's coming because I think it's essential to instill values and principles, give them some responsibilities. I think it's good because they value things and 
That way they take them a bit more seriously. Because if we, the parents, don't set rules, some restrictions, that's what will hurt them. Yes, very seriously hurt them. Yes, and that's what, unfortunately, like I told you before, sometimes parents are very busy working at their jobs and they neglect their children. And that's when the misunderstandings start between parents and their kids. And there's not that unity, that family union. Yeah, yeah. We parents have to really prepare ourselves in that sense to be able to lead no matter what comes. Hmm. With adolescence, which is a very difficult stage because I remember when I was an adolescent too, I was a bit rebellious sometimes. I didn't really listen. <laughs> yeah, it's natural. <laughs> it's normal. It'll happen. Yes, that's right. Yes. And well, like you were saying, I think that the world or parents or people in general, we don't know or we haven't known a system of working on our being, on who we are on the inside. And nowadays, and nowadays technology is very advanced. There are many, many ways to work on ourselves. There are books, audio books, that. Yeah, yeah, bit by bit. Yeah, bit by bit. We're sort of creating a system of self-care of, well, I want, I want to think more love in society. Well, this version's not bad, right? It's pretty good. Hall of Fame is a song by The Script, a successful and popular Irish alt-rock band that prominently features rapper Will I Am of the Black Eyed Peas. It comes from their 2012 studio album, Number Three. As the Spanish cover by America Raquel Perez shows, this song has been covered a lot. Hall of Fame also bears a striking resemblance to another song by the same band, Superheroes from 2014. This one has lyrics that praise the heroism of ordinary, struggling people. All the life she has seen, all the meanest side of me. They took away the prophet's dream for a prophet on the street. Now she's stronger than you know, a heart of steel starts to grow. All his life he's been told, he'll be nothing when he's It would seem that the script has found an effective recipe, yoking inspirational messages to the power of a broad rock beat in a resonant acoustic environment. And well, I think that, like the song says, in order to achieve your dreams, your goals in life, you have to focus to make your big dreams come true. You have to put in the work, the persistence, and well, be constant, constant in what you do. Yes, being constant with perhaps a bit of encouragement that comes, well, it comes from music in many cases, right? And it comes from the air, the sunlight, anything, a little bit of help. And a word of encouragement. 
Yeah, just like the Beatles song, with a little help from my friends. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, yeah. (laughs) A little help from my friends. And, well, I'm very happy to be able to have you as a kind of friend. Oh, of course, me too. And for me, it's an honor, and I'm very grateful to you for this interview and for the hour of conversation we've just shared. It's a pleasure for me as well. A pleasure to have been here, having this talk with you and getting to know each other a bit more. When you have a lot of friendships, I think that the best part is sharing yourself so other people get to know you and your dreams, where you want to go, your goals, your roots. And that surely is a big part of that legacy you were talking about. The, the legacy is no more or less than the lives you've touched and the friendships you've fostered. And, well, many thanks, Carmelo. It was a lovely interview, and we'll see each other soon. Of course. Thanks a lot, Elizabeth, for this opportunity you're giving me to share part of my path, my life, my roots, and, well, the dreams coming up in the future. There are many. I may have not shared them all, but I have a lot. (laughs) (laughs) To be able to reach a big goal in my life, it's bit by bit. You have to divide it into short-term, medium-term, and long-term goals. That's how you put together a life goal, I think. Yes, of course, like like a strategy. The strategy for getting there. Yes, and... and The song doesn't mention that. It's more focused on how to fix your sights on something far away, right? Like being, I don't know, president of the United States or something like that. But (laughs) (laughs) there are many steps between now and then. And, well, we have to strategize every day, right? The choices we make every day, that's our strategy. What we think sooner or later is what we will develop into. The environment around us impacts who we become in the future And that's what happens. I think that in our lives, depending on our family circle, our surroundings, have a lot to do with where we'll end up in the future. The people we surround ourselves with, it counts for a lot in life. Yeah. I remember a saying I've heard several times, wherever you go, there you are. Meaning you bring everything from your present into the future. It's it's like this backpack that we can't take off. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Let's so let's close the interview with that message so our listeners can think for a bit about their their own trajectories. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I think the best thing is to shape ourselves and have a goal for the future. Yes. Because really there's no point thinking about the alternatives. Okay. Very good. Thank you, Carmelo. Thank you, Elizabeth. It's been a pleasure. After our interview, I felt, and still feel, that there was a lot more to say. Well, okay, I always feel this after every interview. They're like the tips of icebergs. But in Carmelo's case, this was a particular feeling, perhaps because of some comments he made. He says, I may not have shared all my dreams. And he talks about leaving a legacy that you did something for humanity. You did something that they'll always remember you for. I want to know what those dreams are. But it wasn't yet time for us to talk about them in this interview. When the time comes, I know he will realize them in the world with care and great human decency. Would you like to know more? On our website at ciofuera.org, you can find lyrics to the songs we discuss, our blog about the issues of history, culture, and politics that come up around every song, links for listeners who might want to pursue a theme further, and some very cool imagery. You'll also find playlists of all the songs from all the interviews to date, 
and our special staff-curated playlist as well. We invite your comments or questions. Contact us at our website or participate in the Cio Fuera conversation on social media. We're out there on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And then there's just plain old word of mouth. If you like our show, do please tell your friends and your families to give it a listen. And do please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll bring you a new interview every two weeks on Friday mornings. Julia Alanis, Cynthia Marcel de la Torre, and Wesley McClintock are our sound engineers. Zoe Broussard and Laura Diaz hold down the marketing. David Castaneda is music researcher. Deaneira Garcia and Alex Dolvan make production possible. We are a not-for-profit venture currently and gratefully funded by the John Paul Simon Guggenheim Foundation. For now, and until the next interview, keep listening to one another. I'm Elizabeth Le Guin, and this is Si Yo Fuera Una Canción, If I Were a Song. Si yo fuera una canción, sonarían por las calles, las montañas y los valles, mi orgullo y mi pasión. ¿Quién soy yo de corazón? Soy una ola, soy una onda, una vibración que ronda por el universo vivo. Y sonando soy testigo a nuestra unidad más honda. <música>